This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Nick Parker talks about credo. What does this word mean? What are we giving to God when we say the creed? Why did Jesus have to die for our sins? Let's find out. Here's Father Nick Parker being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. We welcome in Father Nick Parker, can be defined as a theological scholar, has a degree in theology from Mundelein Seminary in Mundelein, Illinois, also has an advanced degree from the same seminary, a licentiate in sacred theology, and has recently completed a doctorate in sacred theology, served at Sacred Heart Parish in Atwood, Assumption of Mary Parish in Herndon, St. John. Parish in Beardsley. I can never say that. Okay, I figured you'd know that. <laughs> and uh, and then of course uh, Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina before coming here to Hayes as pastor of Immaculate Heart of Mary. We welcome in once again Father Nick Parker. Welcome, Father. Always good to see you. And we're going to talk about credo today. And what first off, you know, for somebody who may say, what does that mean? We're going to talk about that. What does it first off mean to believe in God? Let's start there. Well, um, oftentimes when uh, we think of belief, I think it, could, it is good to start with kind of the, the common belief of, of people, of what the word I believe means. Um, so that is basically what, uh, how, how we translate the word credo in, in Latin. It, uh, it is translated literally as I believe. Most people think that that means then a mental adherence that I believe means that in my mind, I am going to submit to a certain teaching. So I, I submit my mind to what my parents tell me, what my, what my teachers tell me, and I will submit my mind to what the scriptures tell me or what the church tells me. And oftentimes that's what they, they say that the word credo or I believe means. The thing is though, if we really look at the word credo, in Latin, yeah, we can say that it does re- apply to a mental adherence, that it does apply to the mind. But the the deeper that you look at that word just in and of itself, just looking at that single word, the more that you find it actually has a much deeper and a much fuller and much more profound meaning than just a simple what I submit my mind to. So. Well, let's let's talk about, and obviously um, you said the term creed or credo, I believe more than mentally agreeing with something. So what, what else does that mean as far as how the word uh, might apply to the, to the heart and soul as well? Okay. Well, the, uh, the first step then is to actually tear that word apart a little bit. Credo in Latin is somewhat of a compound word. Um, it comes from the two words cordo, which for those who may have studied Latin or even Spanish or some other language like that, we know that cor or cora refers to the heart or and uh, and do or dar in, in Spanish means to give, which means that if we really look at the word itself, it's, it's more than just sort of a mind thing. It really does apply to what do I give my very heart to? What am I, what am I giving my, my, my soul to? And because it is very much a word of faith, it does apply to the soul as well. 
So once you start tearing into just the, the, the word itself, you find that, yes, it does apply to the mind, but it does very much also apply to giving your heart. And then it also does very much apply to giving your very, your very soul to what it is that you say that you are believing. So belief incorporates a whole lot more than just what your, what your mind will, will go along with. Let's talk about what's happening when the people say the Apostles' Creed or the profession of faith at Mass. This is powerful. I think a lot of times as Catholics we say it, we don't really think about it, but it's a very, very powerful prayer, uh, that creed that we pray. So share a little bit about that and what the people are actually pledging as we say it. Okay. Well, um, yeah, it, it is actually an incredibly uh, powerful prayer. And um, for this entire talk, really, all we are doing is actually focusing on the very first word in Latin. Uh, so we call it the creed. The very first word in Latin, if, if you ever get to look at the Latin prayers, is credo. And uh, it's translated as I believe, um, but it's just one word in, in, the, uh, in the Latin. But we've talked so far about how the term oftentimes refers to a mental adherence. But the word credo actually also is a compound word that it consists of the words core, meaning heart, and do, meaning to give. So it's a giving of the heart. It's a very spiritual word, so it incorporates the soul. But also, there's a deep understanding that when one gives their mind and their heart and their soul, that it also means that it applies to their very lives. It's supposed to be a, a word of, of action. So it's not just a, yeah, I'm going to believe it. Yeah, I'm going to, um, to, to feel it. I'm going to make it something spiritual. It means that what I'm about to say when I say the word I believe is going to change my very life. It's going to change my very being. It's going to change the way I, I act, the way I live, the way I, I do things. So in essence, this is kind of a, a pledge of what I'm about to say is going to have an impact on absolutely every single aspect of my, my very life. So really, that's, that's all incorporated just right in that first word. You know, that first word of I believe means everything in my world is going to change with the rest of what I'm going to say. We're talking with Father Nick Parker mm. on um, the, I believe, the creed, the credo, as we talked about. You mentioned uh, a number of aspects that the term I believe or credo implies. It sounds a lot like something else we find in Scripture. So let's maybe talk about that a little bit as well. Sure. So we talked about how the word appeals to the mind. I adhere to it. The heart, that it, it has that compound element to it that it is spiritual, that it applies to the soul, but also that it changes the entire life of the person, which actually applies to the strength. Well, if we look at this then, just once again, we're just looking at that first word. This all is, this word actually sums up what we find in Deuteronomy chapter six, which is known as the Shema in the, the Jewish culture. It's also called the great commandment. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel. Now, I'm going to stop there just for a second, because that word hear, if we look at that in Latin, 
is the word obedire, which is where we get the English word obedience. So in other words, as soon as it says, hear, O Israel, they're also saying, obey, O Israel. You're going to do this, O Israel. Follow what I'm actually going to, to say. It's kind of like when, uh, let's say hypothetically that I got in trouble when I was a child. It never happened, but let's just pretend that it did. <laughs> my, my, my mother, hypothetically speaking, would have maybe said something to me to the ascent to the uh, to the effect of, did you hear what I said to you? If my mom tells me to do something and I don't do it, she'll ask, did you hear what I said to you? And I'll say, oh, oh yeah, I heard. She's like, well, why didn't you listen to me? That hearing and that listening is supposed to imply that you actually do something as well. And that's kind of what's happening here. So back to Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel. In other words, you're going to do something with this, that obediri, you're going to obey. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, with that, you can kind of hear that it does appeal to the heart, the soul, the strength there. In essence, what we get in that word credo with that I believe is all summed up and that Shema and that great commandment. This also is going to come into play when, when Jesus gives the greatest commandment. Um, some of you might recall the story where, where someone comes up to Jesus and says, what is, what is the greatest commandment? And he actually quotes this passage from Deuteronomy and he says, the greatest commandment is you shall love your, the Lord your God with your whole mind your heart, your soul, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So with that, the greatest commandment that Jesus gives, and this great passage from the Old Testament, is summed up in that one word, credo, where I'm saying I'm going to believe in what I'm about to say with my heart, my, with my mind, my heart, my soul, and my strength, my, my entire being, my entire life. We've been talking about it, how the word means I believe. Uh, what about the word amen? Does that mean the same thing? Uh, yeah, it actually, yeah, it actually does. So when we pray the, the creed, like I said, the first, the first word is, is credo in Latin. The last word is Hebrew, which is that amen. That's the, the language of origin of the word amen. But... Uh, some of us may have, have learned in, in catechism class what the meaning of amen is, that amen means it is so, but it, it also means a, a emphatic yes. It also means that I believe or I agree. So amen kind of encompasses all of that sort of essence to it as well, that, that yes, that I believe, I agree, that this is so. And uh, with that, it actually holds a lot of those same implications that the term in Latin, credo, holds, uh, which is kind of interesting when you think about it in the entire context of the creed, because that first word, once again, means that I'm going to give my mind, my heart, my soul, my strength to everything that I'm about to say, that everything that I'm about to proclaim is going to have this entire change on my entire being, on my entire life. That amen 
is kind of like the bookend of it, the other bookend of it, where it's also saying that I'm giving my mind, my heart, my soul, my strength to everything that I just said. So you get it on both ends of, of everything in the middle, that everything I'm going to say is going to change my life, and at the end, everything I just said, I'm going to give my life to. So you have that the, basically the same word at the beginning and at the very end of this prayer. Mm. I also think it's great that we have our, our theme this carathon. It's faith and action, right? Mm-hmm. In essence, that's kind of a summary of this, this very talk, that the creed is supposed to be the declaration of our faith. But when we talk about what the creed actually is and what kind of a profession it is, it means that, yeah, I'm supposed to actually let this change me. I'm actually supposed to put this entire creed into action in my life. So it kind of fits, fits well with the, with the theme. So let's break down the creed, Father, if you would, for us. What is meant by the following statements? Of course, we start with what we start with when we enter the church and we dip our fingers in the holy water when it's there, of course. We say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian formula. Let's talk about, have kind of expound on that a little bit. Okay. Well, you can look at actually the sign of the cross in a lot of different ways and a lot of different dimensions. The whole, you know, we, we're going to bear the cross of Christ, you know, and that we have that action of making the cross uh, on our very bodies and, and kind of a sign that we're, we're going to bear the cross of Christ in, in our own lives um, with our own suffering, sacrifices, our own worship. We recall the, the Trinity, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons but one God. What I really like about just a little nuance here that, though, is that we are praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If you think about someone who might say, I'm coming in the name of so-and-so, oftentimes that means that I'm coming as a representative of, of so-and-so. So like a servant will go and say, I'm, I'm speaking in the name of my, my master or so-and-so, or, or some sort of a messenger will say, I'm coming to speak in the name of my employer or something like that. Um, but in our sense, it's not just that we are coming to God in the name on behalf of God. We're also coming to God in the name on behalf of our, ourselves, that when I, when I come before God, I'm, I'm coming before God in the sense that I'm the servant of God coming to give myself to God in a sense on behalf of God. So God is kind of the central focus in, in all of that, coming to God, for God, for, for my soul, because that's what, what God, God desires. Another interesting thing about prayer, though, we understand prayer in general. I mean, we, we start the sign of the cross in, in, in all of our Catholic prayers, but uh, with all the different reflections on prayer, one of the reflections, I can't remember who said it, and I really need to look, look it up, but they said that prayer is not just us coming to converse with God. Prayer is us listening in on the Trinity's conversation about us. And when we think about it in that sense, that when we start the creed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, it's not just me getting ready to offer this prayer to God. It should very much be me listening very attentively to this prayer because this is also God's request of me. I'm listening to, in a sense, God's words for me. And it kind of turns the whole creed around that mm. 
that this creed is God's conversation about himself that I'm listening in on that he is now wanting to make a part of, of my life. So I guess, I guess you could say that the creed is God's, I'm using the word loosely, but, loosely, but God's prayer for us as well. Hmm. Interesting. So we, we move on as we, we look, kind of break down the creed here. We begin, as you talked about, with the, the, the prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I never have, I guess, never thought of it that way. It was just something, you know, you talk about God inviting us. So the next line is, I, or the first line really after the sign of the cross is, I believe in God. Mm-hmm. So break, if you want to break that down. Sure. So I, I believe in God. We still hold that, yes, there's three persons, but there's, there's still that, that one God. And with that, we're going to have to go into all sorts of crazy Trinitarian formulas and everything. But the idea that I'm adhering to this, this one God, that this one God is the source of all, all love, that he is love himself, that he's the source of all being, that he is being itself, He's the source of all wisdom, that he is wisdom itself. When you just sort of think about those attributes of God and, and all that, that he is, all that he does, this whole creed is, is, in essence, giving ourselves to wisdom, to beauty, to love itself. And also realizing that all of this is something that is both outside of us and a part of us in a more intimate way than we could ever imagine, that it is also both innate but yet beyond us. Just to say that I believe in God then requires a a great sense of awe and wonder and great humility, great submission to that which is both both beyond but very much uh, a part of us as well. To truly be able to say I believe in God then requires uh, an element of intense humility if we really want to truly say it and be able to say it to its fullest. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, computer, smartphone app, or on Amazon Echo, please know we'll be right back with more from Father Nick Parker. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Credo. With Father Nick Parker. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Father Nick Parker is joining us this morning. He is the pastor of Immaculate Heart of Mary Parish here in Hayes. And we're breaking down the, the creed itself we talked about believing in God. You touched on that. And the next uh, point is, why did God create the world? Okay. So, yeah, the next part is that we, we believe in God, creator of heaven and earth. This whole notion of God's creation, the more you delve into it, the more it just becomes very almost um, almost dizzying in its, in its mystery. Because when you think of God himself, it's not like God needed to create the world. I mean, God's infinite. He is love itself. He's being himself. He is wisdom itself. He's beauty itself. God 
seems like he would be perfectly satisfied if there was nothing but God himself. So why then do we have anything at all? It's kind of like the idea, why is there something rather than nothing? But the thing is with God, God is also gift itself. And, and God just, in, in a sense, he's, he's nonstop. He, he, can't, he can't just just stop ever in life. And so with that, we say that God loved so much that his love was not ever contained and it kind of just spilled out into creation. And that's kind of why he created is that his, his love just spilled out and creation is kind of the result of this superabundance of love. It's also been said that God created not because he would necessarily enjoy more creation. I, I mean, in a sense, he does. He didn't, he didn't create for his sake. He created for our sake. He created us because he knew that we would enjoy the, the fullness of actual creation. And so even creation itself, before it was even manifested, was kind of God's plan to give us what, what we never knew that we could ever have. So, I mean, with that, you can kind of see that God created, he, he created us because he knew that we would be able to find life and, and joy in creation. Well, let's talk a little bit about, obviously, you talked about why God created the world. But this is, a, I think, the next point that we want to make here is something that maybe people don't totally understand. I think it's great that we're able to break this down. But why did God's son come into the world to save us? And why did he choose to come in the way he did? Um, I think this is a really great point that I think a lot of people can benefit from. So share your insight on that. Sure. Well, to this, we have to go back to the whole story of Adam and Eve. Just to kind of sum up, we know that Adam and Eve, they were created without sin, but then uh, they, they fell into temptation. Uh, the serpent tricked Eve into eating the fruit of the tree. She gave some to Adam. He ate of the fruit of the tree. And with that, we have original sin. In other words, with that original sin, our, our souls are, are then unable to in essence, live in a fullness of life with God. So what does God do? But he, an all-loving God, absolutely. He still loves his creation. He still wants to care for his creation. But God is all just as well. And he believes in a, a justice. And his, his love and his mercy and his justice actually are not in contradiction with each other. They always have to work in harmony with one another. And so this is how God's justice works in light of original sin. So original sin came by means of a human person. The only way then for justice to be restored is by a human person. The human person messed it up. The human person needs to make it right. The only problem is that human people in original sin are still faulty, fallen. They're still going to mess things up. And human people, just by their own natural power, do not have the power to live the right way to bring us fully back to God. It's just not within the human nature. So what God does is he comes up with, in essence, a rescue mission for humankind. Because justice needs to be restored by a human, 
you have to have someone with a human nature to be able to restore that uh, right relationship back to God. But the only person powerful enough to actually do that is God himself. So the result is God becomes man. Jesus Christ, who is God, who is God's only son, takes on human nature. And so therefore you have Jesus Christ, who is both human and divine, a divine person, but also fully human. And it is then only through Jesus living the full righteous life and offering himself up on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for us that he is able to appease God's justice while at the same time showing God's love and mercy. And Jesus then on the cross is kind of that bridge that heals us, restores us, and brings us back into a right relationship with God. Therefore, he's the fulfillment of God's love, mercy, and justice for for all humankind. And this is a a point where I think a lot of people say, well, gosh, why would Jesus go into hell? And let's talk about why did Jesus have to descend into hell and maybe some of the misunderstanding that comes from that particular line in the the creed. Sure. Well, first of all, um, we have to keep in mind that when Adam and Eve fell from grace and the human race basically had that original sin, that sin kept us from being in full union with God. Only one who is completely pure, who is completely perfect, can enter into the kingdom of heaven. But as long as we have that original sin, that that stain and and that that sin upon our souls, there, there was no ability to enter into the heavenly kingdom prior to prior to Christ. So what happened when people died? Well, they went into what they call in Hebrew that Sheol, and Sheol can be translated into hell, but it's not the eternal damnation that we see today, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, those who are there are there forever, they're never getting out. It, it was kind of a different sort of a, a state, where it was a state of torment, where the people realized that they were not in union with God. And, but at the same time, it wasn't that eternal damnation where they were, it, it was going to be there like permanently, there, there's, there's no getting out. So what Jesus does is after he takes his sins upon himself and takes those sins to the cross and destroys sin and death, well, then he kind of has to release those who are prisoners of Sheol. He has to, he has to go get the people that died before him and bring them into the kingdom. And so that's kind of the next step is that he descends into hell so that he can then minister to those people redeem those people that that uh, that died before him and then bring even the dead into eternal salvation so that's what he was doing that was kind of the purpose to to go to de- descend into hell or that sheol and bring people out of that sheol into the heavenly kingdom now that he has done this and now that we live in the light of the resurrection though we now can see the separation between the eternal damnation and the purgatory and heaven, the eternal salvation. And I think that's where sometimes the confusion comes in. I think there's sometimes we've heard it maybe worded as he descended to the dead. I guess we that's been a, a, another way of wording that, which sounds different, obviously, than uh, descended into hell, as, as we know. I don't know if there... what. 
I mean, it seems like I've heard that before. Right. But is that really why? Because of there is that difference. You talked about Sheol and then um, the hell of the damned. When we say that he descended to the dead, the same concept applies. That's that's what he's doing. That, that The same explanation would, applies to that. We want to make sure that we have kind of a as clear of a distinction as we can make, though, in in all this, so that we're we're trying to speak to the reality of what mm, happened the best right. we can. Um, descended to the dead. It's it's lighter verbiage. Um, it's uh, it's not quite as dramatic, I guess. And in essence, when we use that sort of a, a lighter, less dramatic verbiage, it doesn't completely capture the full reality of what what Jesus did and where he went and what the souls there were going through. So because it's more broad, it it lacks some of that clarity. Of course, when we say he descended into hell, you know, we need to add clarity to that as well a lot of the time. But descending to the hell just kind of captures the reality a little bit more than the general descended to the dead to the dead right uh, thanks for b- clarifying that because i know i've heard it both ways now i just kind of wondered about that let's talk about the next point what did jesus rising from the dead mean for the world jesus's resurrection from the dead it means salvation we we would have never really been able to have known the reality of who christ is if he had not risen from the dead his rising from the dead validates everything that he said. It validates everything that he did. It validates that he's more than just a, a teacher or a prophet or, or some sort of great philosopher or political leader. It means that he truly is divine, that he truly is both God and man, and that he truly did come to save us. Uh, and it reveals that salvation to us. And with that, it gives us great hope, it gives us great motivation, and it gives us the purpose to continue to, to follow him and realize that if we are united with Christ in our life and we stay united with him in our death, then we will be reunited with him and united with him in the resurrection as well. Uh, so that, that resurrection of the dead, it's, it's, um, it is an earth-shattering uh, event in pretty much every sense of the word, that, that it, it does show us that, that our, our faith is, is validated and that we're truly able to follow him and find our salvation within him. What about, and we've got still a few minutes left here, we want to talk about Jesus coming again, because uh, that's part of what we believe, obviously. And let's talk about how will Jesus come again? How will Jesus come again? That's easy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, we, and we don't know how he will come again. And I think that's important to keep in mind, that we don't know how this is going to happen. We are given some things in Scripture. Scripture says that it will, it will come uh, in a flash, like a, like a flash of lightning, that it will come in an instant. And with that, it, it kind of lets us know that we don't know when this is going to happen. We, we don't know how it's going to happen. We just know that it's going to happen suddenly and unexpectedly. Now, there's also sayings that there's going to be famine, there's going to be plague, that there's, there's going to be war and tribulation, and we're going to see earthquakes and natural disasters and things like that. These are the things that have been happening pretty much since the beginning of time, though. And I know that there are some people out there that are saying the coronavirus, it is a sign of the end. Well, was the Black Plague not then? Were, 
other pandemics that hit the world in the past not signs of of the end like you know i don't want to degrade the seriousness of of our modern situation but it's not something that the world hasn't seen before we we've seen things this bad and worse you know once again we don't want to degrade the situation but it's not new in a sense whenever we see these things happening in our world it's a sign that yes we need to continue to prepare for our end whenever it comes but we shouldn't become in the mindset that this is a sign of the end times happening now because we don't know when Jesus is going to come how he's going to come mm-hmm. we just need to use these moments as sort of indicators that it's a reminder that I still need to be prepared for whenever that end is. It's very interesting because just to your point, this is, you know, when you see things, whether it's on Facebook or other places, people start to talk, really talk again. It's the, you know, the whole end times thing and what's going on. And I, I just sometimes wonder where they're basing their information from, because as you said, we don't know. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. The idea of trying to predict it or say that these things are happening now, this is the end times, is seems a, a bit ludicrous. We're, we're not, um, only the Father knows, as we, you know, we read in Scripture, but yet we have people who are trying to, you know, and I think, you know, sometimes it's in a sense to alarm other people. Maybe they're just trying to wake people up to the fact that we need to find God, we need to, you know, have God in our life. But regardless, it's one of those things that you mentioned, we don't know. When, when I asked you that question, that was the first thing that came out of your mouth. Was, I don't know. We don't know. And I think it's really important to keep the focus on just living our lives as we should be living our lives and not we can't worry about that we do, because we simply do not know. Sure. So. Yeah. In, in a sense, we can't worry about it. In a sense, it's a reminder that it should always be on the forefront of our mind you know, no matter what happens. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, we still have a couple minutes left. Any final thoughts, Father, that you want to mention before we have you say the prayer and the blessing or any other things that come to mind that we didn't cover? No, I just, uh, just to reemphasize that when we say the word, I believe, and at the beginning of the creed, and when we say the word, amen, at the end of the creed, the fullness of just those words mean that this is supposed to have an impact on our entire lives, that we're giving our mind, heart, soul, and strength to what we say. And and that's what makes this prayer so powerful. Well, we want to thank you for coming on. You know, this has been trying times. And always understand that we have our priests in, in, in prayer because, um, you know, there's times we, we just, uh, you guys need it more than we sometimes as lay people realize. And so we want you to know that you're in our prayers. We appreciate your saying yes and your commitment to uh, the church. And so please know that you're in our prayers as well. Well, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Let us know what you thought of this show by going to dvmercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon. The comment button is in the middle of the page. And folks, eternity is not seen, but neither are these airwaves. But if you can support these radio waves and help save souls for eternity, then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KVDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and very soon KJDM 101.7 in Salina. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.